And we are celebrating with a tremendous weekend that we have had with all of our Bible quizzers, amen, juniors and beginners and intermediates. The intermediates were in, uh, they were in Indianapolis, um, got in last night late and uh, went up there and had a great time. One of our teams went undefeated in the Chase Marshall Memorial Tournament and uh, beginners won, the juniors won. It's, it's quite a Bible quizzing ministry we have here. We're going to be honoring all of these uh, children and young people uh, in our evening service. You want to be here tonight. Uh, Brother Matt Linton is a tremendous singer and is used of God. We're going to have just a great time of celebration tonight. But this morning I turn your attention to the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 2. I want to read two verses in your hearing. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 2. And then we turn to Isaiah chapter uh, 55 and verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 2 and Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Nehemiah 4, 2. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? In other words, who do these people think they are? What are they going to do? Do they really think they can win in some sort of a victory against us? And so there were these words of intimidation and rhetorical questions to sort of undermine any limited amount of confidence that they would have to try to destroy them before there was ever a battle. And it's culminated with the question, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? In other words, they're in such disarray. Their cities are in ruin. What are they going to do? Make it all come back to life? Isaiah 57, 15 comes the answer. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and lofty place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Hallelujah. I'm glad to know a God that can revive even the old stones of rubble. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We started out this year talking about the 12 wells of refreshing that we felt God was directing us to draw from. We started out with the well of renew, and last month was rejoice, and this month we start out with the well of revive. And so I want to speak this morning on this subject, the remnants of a victory, the remnants of a victory. You may be seated, and thank you for standing. The definition of remnant is a part or quality that is left after the greater part has been used. Something that's kind of left over. The remnant of sport championships or players that participated in those championships is something that we enjoy, maybe something that we can all uh, relate to today. It doesn't have to be anything big, but if your favorite team wins a 
Super Bowl or a World Series or the NBA championship, then people like to get the hats or the jerseys or a signature or something that commemorates that victory. I remember as a boy, I was uh, following the Miami Dolphins whenever they were uh, winning Super Bowls in the early 1970s. And they had a quarterback by the name of Bob Greasy. And I was uh, just really enthralled with Bob Greasy and uh, wanted anything that said Bob Greasy on it. I had Miami Dolphins headphones, Miami Dolphins rugs in my bedroom, Miami Dolphin posters, Miami Dolphin bedspread, Miami Dolphin raincoat. I'm not, I'm not making any of this up. <laughs> Everything in my room said Miami Dolphins on And um, we didn't have a Melbourne mall back then. We certainly didn't have a Vieira. We didn't have anything down here, really. The only mall was in Merritt Island. That was called Merritt Square. And so on Sunday afternoons, I'm not sure now how my parents did it, but on Sunday afternoons, sometimes with the Jenkins, sometimes with other folks, we would drive all the way to Merritt Island to eat lunch because they had a Piccadilly cafeteria up there. And boy, we loved to go to Piccadilly. And so sometimes we'd walk around the mall a little bit afterwards. And I remember they were having a charity auction up there. Uh, one day, and they were auctioning off different uh, players' jerseys from the from the 1972 Miami Dolphins undefeated season. And uh, we stopped there momentarily, and I got excited and tried to coerce my parents to get into the auction, but they were not that interested. And uh, so I was wanting something, and I was waiting and looking and listening and wondering when I could jump in. But as a nine-year-old, you have limited funds. And uh, they finally got to items that belonged to Bob Greasy, and my ears sort of perked up. And uh, they were auctioning off his chin strap. The dirty, sweaty, bloody chin strap that goes under the helmet. But they said he wore it during the Super Bowl 1972 championship. I wanted that little remnant. I wanted that chin strap. My mom said something like, oh, gross. But I was not to be deterred. I wanted that chin strap, and so with my limited funds and my... Uh, excitement, enthusiasm of a nine-year-old, I started to bid. One dollar! <laughs> and they all looked at me, this little boy with one dollar, and soon it was five, and ten, and twenty, and thirty, and I just sort of listened as my enthusiasm sort of turned to dismay. As dollars kept climbing, and I'm like, it's a chin strap! Why would you want to take a chin strap from a little boy? Finally, somebody paid $172 for Bob Greasy's chin strap. What are you going to do with it? Can't wear it. Put a nail in it. Put it on the wall. But it's a remnant of that victory. 1984, I was evangelizing and preaching in Detroit, Michigan when the Detroit Tigers won the World Series. The pastor took me down to the field. There was somebody in the church that worked there, and they got us down the field, and we walked around the bases and all that, and all the field was all eat up like a bunch of hogs had run through there, just like a whole bunch of cows and hogs and chickens, and the whole thing was all, the field was all messed up, and I said, what in the world happened to this field? They played baseball. I said, well, afterwards, all the fans came down, and they were taking chunks of grass everywhere they could to remember I was there. When the Detroit Tigers won the World Series, a little clump of grass, put it in their house somewhere, a remnant of a victory. Later on, I was visiting my friend who lives in Detroit, and he had a, a stadium seat from the old Detroit Tower Stadium with the chairs, and he had it in his house. And it's not like a lazy boy comfortable seat, you know, with a recliner. And all. It's like a hard Plastic, metal seat, 
soiled and who knows what all through the years of people sitting. He had it in his house. I said, what are you doing with this? He said, this used to be in the Detroit Tigers stadium. I said, really? He said, yeah, when they got rid of all those chairs, they sold them to all of us. So we bought them and put them in our house. I said, what'd you pay for it? $500. I'm thinking at Haberty's, you could have gotten something with cushions on it for 500 bucks. I don't have any of that stuff, but my friend John Wolfram, who will be with us in July, he was the first man, he was a frogman, a Navy SEAL, he was the first man out of the helicopter, into the water, the first human on earth to greet Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and whoever the other guy was in there, I can't remember his name, in the capsule when they came back from the moon. Collins, was that it? Michael Collins? Three of them, they were in there, that's John over there on the right, he was the first guy in the water, his job was to put on the sea anchor underneath. It was quite the, 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 the spacecraft had actually capsized. They had to stabilize it. The waters were rough that day when they landed back in the, to the Pacific Ocean. And he was there to secure it. He got a thumbs up in the window. Back then they didn't know what kind of contaminant. So they had to put hazmat suits on and all that. So he didn't actually shake their hands all that. But they got it secured and they put the rubber ring around it. And then some other frogman jumped, jumped into the water and... And they got it all stabilized, and, and uh, later on, uh, John stayed with the uh, spacecraft until they hoisted it back up there on the USS Hornet, which you can see is uh, nearby. But all the while, while the cameras were following the astronauts with their hazmat suits, and they went in the little float, and the float went out, and they pulled them up into the helicopter, and all the TV cameras from all the world followed them. Guess what my buddy John was doing on the spacecraft? All those pieces of foil, it has foil all around it to protect it from the heat of re-entry. He was stuffing them all in his wetsuit. <laughs> all the foil, he was stuffing it all down in his wetsuit. And he even, he even wrote his name and magic marker down there on that ring, John Wolfram. And when they hoisted it up on to the USS Hornet, you can see the old pictures. It says John Wolfram right on the ring. He got in trouble for that. That is U.S. property and you are not to desecrate or mar U.S. property. But I thought that was cool. And not long ago, we were talking about him and I have done mission trips in Vietnam where he did two tours as a Navy SEAL. And we've done some great things together over the years. And he's going to be with us in July because they're celebrating the 50th year of the Apollo 11 mission, which took place in, of course, 69. And... Um, so he's going to be with us uh, on the 4th of July weekend and Wednesday before that. We're going to do some media stuff and so forth. But he was telling me, he said, David, I still have some foil left. I said, from the Apollo 11 mission? He said, yes. Would you like some? I said, yes. What will it cost me? He said, nothing. I'm going to just give it to you. I said, a part? Of the Apollo 11 mission, a piece of foil. He said, I'm going to have it all framed up for you. I'll have it authenticated. We'll put it in a frame and everything. I got so excited. I'm going to have a part of the Apollo 11 mission. And then he sent me a picture of it because I don't really have it in my possession yet. He said, this is what it's going to look like. I said, that is beautiful. Where's the foil? It's in that little box down there. That's it. 
certified by Ken something something, owner of Authenticator Space Coast Cover Service, Merritt Island, Florida, USA. I have no idea. They just pay that guy to put his signature on there. I got to thinking, why is it so exciting for me? I got excited. Even though it's a little tiny thing, it can't be more than a thumbnail. What am I going to do with that? I'll put it in a frame. And Why is that so cool to have that little piece of foil? Oh, John said, we put it in pens, we sell it, you won't believe it. He said, we built a Bible school in Vietnam with foil from that mission. I said, people spend money on it? Oh, he said, are you kidding? But not for you, giving it to you for free. Because you've done so much for missions. Get a little piece of foil. So I've been thinking about this for a few months now. And I'm like, why does that excite you, David Ellis Myers, to have a piece of foil? So in the process of kind of thinking about this, I've come to this conclusion. The remnant of a victory is even more special if the victory is against all odds. Maybe the reason, I mean, obviously the first time man stepped foot on the moon is special, but maybe one of the things that's so spectacular about having a remnant of that victory is that it was against all odds. Think about this, folks. 50 years ago, before the internet, before cell phones, we put a man on the moon. It's still hard to believe. In fact, some people don't believe They think it was just done in Hollywood. But I thought maybe that's why the remnant of this victory is so interesting is because it was against all odds. And then I got to thinking about how all of us got saved against all odds. People didn't think you would amount to a hill of beans. You've got family members that still can't believe you're in church. They think you're just playing some kind of charade or something. I've known that guy too long. They ain't no way he's a tongue talker. They ain't no way he's a holy roller. They ain't no way he's an apostolic Pentecostal. No, I know what he used to be like. But when it looked like everything was against you, there was a victory against all odds. Nobody thought you would make it. You didn't even think you would make it. But in a last minute, God came through for you. You won the victory, a mighty victory, and God rescued you. You didn't come from the right environment. You didn't have the right name. You didn't have the right pedigree. But God looked down and said, you are my child. I love you. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords set foot on our hearts. And we have never been the same. Yeah, we still have problems. We're still human beings on this earth. We still face the realities of a determined foe, but you could not deny, and I cannot deny, that God has touched us. You remember when you were first touched by the Spirit of God, don't you? Maybe it was at an altar in an old church. Maybe it was this altar. Maybe it was when you were a child in Sunday school. 
Maybe it was when you were in your bedroom and you knelt by your bed. Maybe it was in an alley where you stumbled out of a club drunk and alone. And in the darkness, you silently cried out for help. Maybe it was at a drug-infested party where the haze of hallucinogens hung in the air. And you asked yourself, what am I doing here? God did not turn a deaf ear to you. Countless environments and in countless battles, God came through for you. And gave you a mighty victory. You prayed and God heard you. You cried out and the Spirit of God came upon you. So you know the sweet smell of victory. You know the taste of triumph. You know what it is to be touched by God. You know the feeling of being lifted up. And riding on wings of eagles. And you know that there is always... A remnant of those victories. You're not serving a God that's a one and done God. He's not a one hit wonder. There's a residue to the Almighty. The spoils of war. A reminder of the miraculous. For David, he'd had some great victories in his life. But perhaps his most famous victory was the slaying of the giant. Goliath. After he slew that giant, the Bible said he, he took some remnants with him of the victory. He took his old Goliath's old bloody head, put it in his tent, and when he appears before King Saul later on, the Bible says he's standing there with that head in his hand. I can just see him holding that, that thing up by its hair. Maybe he did a puppet show with it. <laughs> What's that about feeding me to the fowls of the air? Here's the king. Talk to him. You ain't so bad now, are you? Blood dripping all off the bottom of it. I know I have a vivid imagination. (laughs) But the Bible does say he held his glass head in his hand. A boy. Anybody wants to know who took him out? I got the evidence. Aren't you glad you serve a God that gives you evidence? How many of you that are are in this building have ever been healed, physically healed in your body? Would you raise your hand? Look at all that evidence. How many of you have been saved out of sin? You couldn't save yourself, but God reached down and saved you. Look at all that evidence. That's evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. That would convince any jury. God is a faithful God. When God gives you the Holy Ghost, He gives you evidence of speaking in tongues. When God gave you soul, He gave you evidence of a changed life. When God healed your body, the doctor's report came back. We have no explanation. God is a God of undeniable evidence. So after David knocked Goliath down, with a, with a sling and a, and a stone. The Bible said he took Goliath's own sword. I, he, he must have just stood up there on top of Goliath's chest. I could just see him. And with Goliath's own sword, 
took that giant's head off. Then he held on to that sword for a while. And after a while, people were like, what you going to do with that sword, David? I don't know. Just kind of like holding it. Works pretty good in the Israel Softball League. Everybody uses a bat. David brings a sword. He's a strange kid. I could just see him walking around town with it. Sir, you can't bring that sword in Walmart. Can't bring that through TSA. You're not allowed on the Delta flight with that sword. Goliath's sword. I don't think he ever cleaned it up. Still had blood on it. Finally, he goes and turns it into the high priest, and they wrap an ephod around it, and they put it in the tabernacle. We don't know what we're going to do with it. We'll just keep it as a remnant of a great victory. But later on, David's running for his life. Now he's got a foe that's even more dangerous because it's his own king. Goliath's big and tall and ugly and a Philistine and you can kill him and everybody rejoices. But King Saul, it's a different story. The enemy will keep changing the game to try to find what your Achilles heel is so he can defeat you. And so now he's having to run for his life from his own king. And he's exasperated and he's tired and he's weary. He's hungry, he wants something to eat, he doesn't know where to go. Saul's put a hit out on his life. Everybody's going to be handsomely rewarded if they kill David. David's running, running, running. He goes to the priest, Abathar, and he says, you got to eat bread. He's like, well, we just got this hollow bread, you know, that's here for the show bread, all that. He's like, we need something. My men and I are starving. So the priest gives him, what else you got, what else you got in there? They're rummaging around back there. He goes, oh, here's the sword. Here's the sword, Goliath's sword. You remember that one? Put up there 1 Samuel 21.9. Yes, yeah, the sword of Goliath, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah. Behold, it's here, it's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take it, take it, for there's no other save that here. And David said, there's none like it, give it me. There's nothing like that sword, give it me. I'm going to tell you what, once you're raised apostolic, you can't join any other church. Where are you going to go? Everywhere you go, you're going to be like, this ain't the real thing. I got to get back. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like being apostolic pinnacle. There's nothing like having the power of God in your life. There's nothing like knowing that God is real. For I can feel him in my soul. What are you going to do now? Go play church the rest of your life? There's nothing like it. There is none like it. Give it me. Woo! <laughs> I can see David jumping around with that sword. I got the sword. I got the one. If nothing else, it was a reminder to him that God is a faithful God because remnants are there to remind us. Remember the victory, David? I remember it like it was yesterday. God directed that sling and that stone. 
traveled with velocity that I had never seen before. And I had used a sling all of my life. But like a laser-guided missile, God had all this technology way before man did. Heat-seeking. Hit that big old, nearly 10-foot-tall giant right in the head. And he falls down. Hey, David, he's the same God. I know your opponent's different now, but he's the same God. I know the battle's a little different now, but he's the same God. Good Lord, I'm preaching to somebody today. I don't know what you're facing, but I'm here to tell you, it's the same sword of the Spirit that'll give you victory. It wasn't just for Goliath. It wasn't just for you to be saved 20 years ago. He's the same God that saved you. He's the same God that'll heal your marriage and deliver your child. Get the sword in your hand again. I remember being hit by a drunk driver on Interstate 75 and flipping through the air end over end. I remember my Ford Probe Turbo careening down the interstate. I remember the car landing upside down, being smashed. I remember not having a seat belt on, but an invisible hand holding me in that car. I remember crawling through broken glass. Never had a cut or a bruise. Never even went to the hospital. I remember sitting on the side of the road and hearing the sirens of the emergency vehicle screaming in my direction. I remember hearing the emergency personnel say, we can't believe you came out of that car. And then one fellow said to me, there's somebody upstairs that's got his hand on your life. I remember. I've got a memory. Oh, that doesn't mean you're not ever going to have another battle. It doesn't mean you're never going to have another crisis. But you've got a rim. You've got a memory of the same God that delivered you then. It's the same God that's going to deliver you today and tomorrow and forever. Come on, my friend. You need to drag that sword out. You need to remember your God is a powerful God. He is a mighty God. You ought to lift your hands and your voice right now. Would you shout unto him with the voice of triumph? For Samson, it was the jawbone of a donkey. Philistines didn't know what to do with him. He had an anointing on his life. They went down to the men of Judah and they said, We're going to capture all your towns and steal all your women and kids unless you get Samson to give up. So the men of Judah went over there to Samson and said, they're going to kill us all if you don't give up. He let them tie them all up. And he let the men of Judah, because he trusted them, bring them down. They got them down there, and then they started to do the prisoner exchange and turn them over to the Philistines. He broke all those ropes like they were straw and fire. And he looked around, and he didn't have a sword in his hand. He didn't have anything, but he saw an old jawbone of a donkey laying down there. 
with the jawbone of a donkey. He slew a thousand men. Philistines, a victory, a powerful victory. They all went running. The ones that did live took off running as fast as they could. They had swords. They had everything. But one with God is a majority. Let God be true and every man a liar. I don't care about everybody on your job, all your friends at school, all your neighbors. It doesn't matter if everybody's against you. If you've got God on your side, he's going to give you a mighty victory. It was a victory against all odds. It was just the jawbone of a donkey. But it was all Samson needed because the Spirit of God can turn something dead into a weapon of mass destruction. You don't think you have any abilities. You think you're just an old, dry, dead carcass. You've made too many mistakes in your life. God could never use you. You let the devil talk you out of the miraculous by telling you you're just an old carcass. Your best days are behind you. There's no life in these members anymore. But my friend, you forgot you're serving a God that can revive. Can revive a dead carcass. Samson must have thought it was just for the victory because when they were all gone, he threw it aside. He didn't think he needed that old bone anymore. I don't need it anymore. Philistines are gone. Back to a life of leisure. Back to a life of comfort. But the sun beat down on him and he got thirsty. He said to God, why would you give me a great victory? Now I'm going to die of thirst. The Lord said, you got rid of the jawbone too soon. Go back to the jawbone. And the Bible said he carved a hollow place. Sometimes you've got to get empty before God can fill you. He carved a hollow place. When he picked up that bone again, waters came rushing out of it. It became a water fountain in the desert. It's not just a weapon of mass destruction. It's a weapon of mass refreshment. (laughs) This old gospel may seem like a relic to some folks. You guys need to get a more modern message. You guys need to come up to the 21st century with the rest of us. Jesus named baptism and what's the big deal? Holy Ghost infilling, speaking in tongues, holiness standing. You don't need all that stuff anymore. It's just an old jawbone of a donkey. What you don't understand is it's not only what delivered us, it's what also gives us refreshing waters. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, He's done for me. My soul cries out, hallelujah. I still get joy in his presence. It's still a remnant of a faithful God. And those refreshing waters, those living waters, they revive us again. Oh, it's just... A remnant, a relic of a past victory. But with God, it just keeps on giving. (laughs) 
I said, it just keeps on giving. Don't throw aside what has been passed down to you from generations to come. You've got a God that's going to take an old lifeless jawbone. And it's going to be your wells of living waters. Good God Almighty. There were some guys, they were just trying to bury a dude. He had died. Maybe he was a friend. Maybe it was just their responsibility as the leaders in the community. They went on the outskirts of the city to try to bury this guy. They dug a hole. While they were digging the hole, a band of renegades were coming. And they saw him out in the desert. And they see the dust. And they said, uh-oh, them guys look like they're, they're trying to cause trouble. We better get out of here. Let's go. They had the hole dug as best they could. What they didn't realize was they had dug a grave on the top of Elisha's bones. And the Bible says that when they threw, I mean, they were in a hurry now. They saw in the distance that band of men coming. We were going to give you a nice funeral. The hole's dug. Just throw him in there. Just put him in there. We got no time to cover him up with dirt. Just put him in there. We got to go. We got to hurry. <laughs> oh, but look what happens. You got to put, you got to put uh, the scripture up there that talks about it. Second Kings thirteen twenty one. They threw this guy in the hole. Spied a band of men and they just cast him into the sepulcher of Elisha. Probably didn't even realize what they were doing. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived. (laughs) Those bones of Elisha, an old prophet that had been dead a long time. But the anointing has still got it simmering like a hot stove. Hey, have you ever thought that a fire was out in a fireplace? Some of you Floridians, you don't know what I'm talking about. So I need some people from the north to help me out right now. (laughs) But the embers were still hot. One time my parents were with me up in the the mountains. We were way out in the woods. and There's an old fireplace. We'd been burning wood all day long. My dad said, what do you want to do with all these old ashes? I said, I don't know. We'll just scoop them up, put them in a bucket, and throw them out in the field next door. So he said, okay, we scooped it all up. We threw it out in the field next door. About an hour later, we looked out the window. (laughs) (laughs) The woods are on fire! (laughs) We're out there stomping and trying to spray water on it, put it out. Finally, we called our neighbor. He helped us. What did y'all do? We said, we just threw some old ashes. He said, they were still hot. I learned my lesson. What you thought is dead. (laughs) Still got the anointing of God on it. You thought your son would never come back to an apostolic church. He ran off, joined the rock band, turned to drugs. But 30 years later, you see him coming down the door. You know why? Because the anointing never left. The fire of God's prophetic word was still on the bones. 
vibrant, revived. Victory, it all comes from the same word meaning life. When he revives, he brings life back again. And when they dropped that old dead guy on the top of Elisha's bones, the Bible said he revived and stood up. Them guys that had dropped him in there, they were running back to town because of that band of men that were chasing them. But then they picked up their pace when they noticed another guy that was chasing them. we buried he's chasing us we've been out in the heat too long (laughs) we've lost our minds no you just buried him in the right place because those bones were still alive and they revived oh I'm preaching to somebody today There's been some stuff you've given up on. I feel a word in the Holy Ghost. God says there's a prophetic voice that's wanting to declare that you better not give up on those old bones. Don't give up on those old prayers. They've gone up before the Lord as a memorial. And they're going to bear fruit. And life is going to come again. Stand to your feet. Ezekiel, go down and prophesy to that army of dry bones. They'll live again. Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. I don't think when you go to church, there ought to be so much noise. You better get back in your Bible. We're going to need a new pulpit after this. <laughs> and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together. Bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered up, and there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon me. I feel in the Holy Ghost today. I want to say, it's time you prophesy to the wind of God's Spirit. God wants to breathe on some old remnants of victory. Wants to bring life again. He alone is the one who brings life initially. So he alone can revive and bring life again. Because he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That's the second time and the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time when I thought God was all done with me. His breath breathed on me one more time. Oh, breath, breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied 
as he commanded and the breath came into them and they lived watch this see if you see the commonality with what happens with the guy they buried in Elisha's grave and they lived and stood up upon their feet good God in heaven I feel a massive army of God's people standing up on their feet today come on you had your you've had your head bowed in disgrace you had your head bowed in shame you didn't know if God would ever respond to you but today I feel an unction in his spirit that says it's time for you to stand up lift up your voice shout unto God with the voice that dry up God's not done with you yet God's not done with your family yet God still has a work I wonder all over this great building would you lift your hands and your voice right now and would you like a mighty army would you declare the glory of God Oh yes, King. This is the army of God. God will have the final say. He can't bring life to the rubble. He can't revive the rubble. Come on, there's a refreshing water. There's a refreshing river of living water. Come on, get a hold of the remnant. Bring to your remembrance that God is a God of victory. 